Welcome into the Diamond Vols podcast. I'm your host, Ben McKee. Happy to be back with you for another season of Tennessee baseball. Tennessee baseball getting back underway this Friday at Lindsey Nelson Stadium, kicking off the Tony Vitello era with a three-game series against Georgia Southern. Should be a fun one this weekend at Lindsey Nelson. Tennessee started its season last year with a game against Georgia Southern, and there were plenty of fireworks throughout the weekend down in Statesboro. I imagine revenge will be on the mind of Georgia Southern this weekend as it makes makes its way up to Knoxville, and there'll be a extra flavor this year as Chase Dolander, one of the Eagles' best pitchers, will be making his Tennessee debut this weekend after transferring from Georgia Southern over the offseason. Before we get into the weekend, though, we we do want to preview the season as a whole and get into this Tennessee pitching staff that must replace some key faces. Chad Dallas, he's gone. That's your Friday night starter. Will Heflin, one of the most underrated pitchers of of last year's team, underrated players of, of last year's team, one of the most underrated players in Tennessee baseball over the last decade. Uh, he is gone. He has graduated after approximately 19 seasons on Rocky Top. But not only is Will Heflin gone, but Sean Hunley is gone. The the workhorse out of the bullpen, he is no longer here in Knoxville after being drafted by the Tampa Bay Rays. So a lot of new faces on the pitching staff. Also a lot of new faces out in the field. Connor Pavoloni, he's gone. Jackson Greer's gone. Jake Rucker, your starting third baseman. He's off to the pros. Liam Spence, starting shortstop. Max Ferguson, starting second baseman. Those guys are gone as well. Do have some familiar faces back. Jordan Beck, Drew Gilbert, Luke Lipsius at first base. Evan Russell making the transition to catcher. So plenty of storylines entering the season. Also some unfortunate storylines with some injuries within the pitching staff as well as the season kicks off this weekend and this is going to be your season preview pod mike wilson of the knoxville new sentinel joins us to to preview tennessee's pitching staff ryan shumpert of rocky top insider a name many of you are familiar with from last year's diamond balls podcast he is going to join us to preview tennessee's lineup and who is likely to be the starters in the field both in the infield and the outfield and and that catcher as well so uh happy to be back with you all happy to bring you all the season preview spoke with mike about the pitchers for about 30 minutes spoke with shumpert about the position players for about 30 minutes as well as in-depth of a look into Tennessee baseball as you will find heading into the year. To give a glimpse of what the Diamond Vols podcast is going to look like this upcoming season, year number four of doing the Diamond Vols podcast, feels like we were just starting this yesterday, but this year is going to look a little bit different. Ryan Shumpert, who I just mentioned, our good friend Ryan Shumpert, you will hear him throughout the year on the pod, but not as frequently. Ryan has moved on to Rocky Top Insider and is doing a tremendous job covering all things Vols for the RTI crew. So Eric Kane, who our VolQuest family is very familiar with, he is going to step up and kind of pinch hit, except he's going to be more than just a 
pinch hitter. He is going to co-host with me at times and and pretty frequently. Eric isn't with us today, but throughout the season, you will hear him very often. The the plan that I have in mind is to do two podcasts a week. Want to do one on Sunday evening or first thing Monday to recap the weekend and just discuss whatever took place and how Tennessee performed, major storylines, so on and so forth. Pretty simple there. Just the reactionary podcast on, on Sunday evening is is the plan each and every week that Tennessee is in action, which is from now until hopefully the end of June. And we'll also get a second podcast in throughout the week as well. We'll drop that on Thursdays at some point around lunchtime, early afternoon, and that pod will preview the upcoming weekend. We'll we'll try to get a uh, a beat writer who covers the team or the the voice of the team that Tennessee is going to be playing. We'll get them on here and, and preview Tennessee's opponent. Uh, we'll also recap the the midweek game that takes place every Tuesday pretty much and, and sometimes every Tuesday and Wednesday. We'll talk about the, the midweek games on, on that preview of the weekend pod as well. And then obviously Kane and I uh, will dive into the weekend and discuss the matchups and and the ongoing storyline. So really excited to be back for another year of the Diamond Falls podcast. Again, Mike Wilson joined us for about 30 minutes. Ryan Shumpert did as well to help preview the team this year as Tony Vitello enters year five. So don't want to waste any more time. So without further ado, before we jump into Ryan Shumpert of Rocky Top Insider, Here's Mike Wilson of the Knoxville New Sentinel to preview Tennessee's pitching staff heading into 2022. Joined now by Mike Wilson of the Knoxville New Sentinel. Mike, can't believe it's baseball season. First pitch Friday feels like yesterday we were having a good time in Omaha. I'm pretty sure we were in Omaha yesterday, to be honest. I mean, <laughs> you, you, me, Ryan Shumpert. And uh, Troy Provo Heron running around the town causing a scene. Yes, and and trying to drag Sean Barrows down with us. Yeah, we are we are life ruiners. That's for certain. <laughs> oh my life! <laughs> the Just... stress of my modern office. <laughs> uh, so many inside jokes. Can't wait to uh, come up with so many more this upcoming season. Amongst those of us on the uh, baseball beat, but. Mike, we do have to talk baseball. We, we, we can share our stories that nobody cares about another day. But in regards to baseball, and I appreciate you hopping on and, and talking a little Tennessee pitching staff with us before our good friend Ryan Shepard jumps on and, and talks about Tennessee's position players and potential lineup and, and potential starters in the field. Plenty to talk about there, but there's also plenty to talk about from a pitching staff standpoint because – That is the biggest storyline going into the season. The fact that Blake Tidwell is currently shut down with, and this is a new one, shoulder soreness deriving from shoulder, not tightness, but stiffness. From stiffness to soreness. I followed baseball closely and have for a long time. I I don't recall that one. That that that's pretty fascinating. Yeah, I. I struggled to wrap my head around that initial assessment as well. And I think I just started referring to it as shoulder soreness because yes. really what it sounds like is he had a little bit of stiffness in there and it developed into soreness. So I'm going to call it shoulder soreness for the sake of clarity. Yes. And that, that is what it is. And 
it feels like the Garrett Crochet situation all over again. There's a little bit of a difference. I, I say it is like that situation all over again, just because I do believe that they are being overcautious and he was just kind of having a tough time bouncing back from throwing when he has thrown, but it's it's the Garrett Crochet 2.0 all over again because they are being overcautious because of his his future, uh, where he could be drafted after this season in the upcoming draft. But the difference, though, Mike, is that Crochet wasn't shut down for the fall. So uh, th- there is far more concern with this situation, although the expectation is that he will pitch again and will pitch at some point this season there was a little bit of misinformation when that news came out a couple of weeks ago and and create, created a fear that he wasn't going to to pitch this season unless there's a setback i mean he's going to pitch at some point this year probably right before SEC play and then really ramp it up as as Tennessee, Tennessee gets into conference play but the big difference between the two is that Garrett Crochet that that kind of popped up and they were able to handle it within a month this has kind of been ongoing with Blake Tidwell, and, and that is a concern moving forward. Yeah, and that's exactly my understanding of, of how it's different between the Crochet and Tidwell situations. Uh, with Crochet, it was kind of a – it just happened. Uh, like one day there was soreness. And with, with Blade, it, it does sound like it's been a progressive thing. Um, not, not exactly specific on when that, that started, but it hasn't exactly been a recent development um, in terms of the timeline of that. So – it is comparable in that, but the biggest similarity is exactly what you said. I mean, th- this is a kid with a lot of money on the line. This is a kid that's talked about as a first round pick, you know, a guy that's ideally got a long baseball career ahead of him. And, you know, there's always decision makers involved in that and you got to be wise with it and then uh, look out for a kid's future. And it seems like Tennessee is doing that with exactly what you said, the expectation he's going to throw this season. Um, unlikely in non-conference is my understanding. I'm not sure on a timeline in SEC play, but uh, it sounds like at some point Tennessee expects Blake Tidwell to throw. Yes, and it's a significant loss. I mean, there's no other way around it. He he was arguably the best pitcher returning in the SEC, and I I think he was a lock to be a first-round pick. The question is how high. And, I mean, if he comes out and just dominates the way that he's capable of, he he might have been a top-five, top-seven pick so the the loss is is significant there's no doubt about it and then you compound compound the fact that Seth Halverson it's Missouri transfer that Tennessee picked up shortly it wasn't even after the season they picked him up right before they went to Omaha uh, right after Missouri season concluded he's a hard throwing future professional pitcher who has had to to get his command underneath them and, and work on that command. And from my understanding, he was doing good with that uh, and kind of getting that under control, but he's just throwing a bullpen and his arm just snaps, <laughs> just pops as he's throwing. And it, it, it sounds as miserable as it was. It was a freaky incident, fractured right arm. And he's probably out until mid April. Um, beginning of conference play at best is when he'll return so you had a lot of arms in in that pitching room with Frank Anderson but now all of a sudden 
you're without two of your, your top hard throwing arms. And I don't think it necessarily affects the, the starting rotation, Mike. I think it affects the bullpen more. I think it does too, because I think Halverson was going to settle into a swing role. Um, I think he was going to be a, a Sean Hunley type out of the pen. At least that's, I think to me, the ideal situation for him, a hard throwing guy who has the arm strength to start. If you've got the arm strength to start, you've usually got the arm strength to throw twice in a weekend on an SEC weekend. So I think that's what was going to fall, but you nailed it. I mean, this, the pitching staff has been the expected strength of this team. You know, last year, the Tennessee roster was pretty well balanced, but definitely leaned offense. I mean, that lineup could mash Uh, just the numbers. They put up very impressive seasons individually. And as a team saw a lot of big run games. I think you're looking at this team and saying, all right, if Tennessee's going to have success, they're going to win a lot of three to two games a lot of four to two games, kind of everything in that window. Um, and that's because of the pitching. And I still think it has a chance to be the strength, as you said, Halverson's expected back, you know, right around the start of SEC play or so. Um, assuming, you know, I think that's an interesting injury mentally. Um, gosh, I'm still haunted by Tony Saunders, who was pitching for the Tampa Bay Rays at the time, one of Troy Provo Heron's favorite baseball teams. Um, his arm just snapped while he was pitching. Uh, and coming back from that, it's got to be challenging. Uh, from a mindset standpoint, but Tennessee still has some options there. And, and thankfully they, they padded the pitching staff this off season, bringing in Chase Burns as a freshman, bringing in Chase Dolander as a transfer from Georgia Southern. And th- those guys right away are, are giving Tennessee a boost. Yes. And that's why I'm not as concerned with the starting rotation as much as I am with the bullpen, because Dolander was, was going to start, before these injuries occurred, uh, probably will be your your number two guy. He's he's somebody the staff views as a future first round pick. Chase Burns, future first round pick as well, assuming everything goes according to plan. And he's Blade Tidwell 2.0 in terms of mid state guy, kind of same rapport on the mound. And he was going to come in and, and pitch just as well as Blade, even as a freshman, if not better, because I, I do think. Uh, Chase's off-speed and, and secondary pitches are better entering college than than Blades, and they they both throw equally as hard. And, and Chase Burns routinely touches triple digits, and it's a it's an easy upper nineties, very very little effort in uh, pumping that fastball in there. So you you had those two guys, and, and you still have those two guys. Camden Sewell is most likely going to slide in and replace Blade Tidwell in the starting rotation in the meantime. And you know how much I, how much confidence I have in, in Camden Sewell. I, I've been wanting him to pitch more innings for a very long time. And he did towards the end of last year, but I think he'll be perfectly fine until Blade returns. And so I want to talk about the bullfin before we talk, talk, talk about the starting rotation. If I can speak properly tonight, uh, apparently I'm still feeling the Super Bowl the same way you, you still are, but the bullpen it concerns me more because Camden Sewell and Seth Halverson were going to be your two Sean Hunleys. You you weren't going to have one Sean Hunley. You're going to have two Sean Hunleys. And now one's out for half the season due to an injury. And the other one is removed from the bullpen and headed to the starting rotation. So, so you're down two guys now and that just moves everybody's significance up in the bullpen and outside of Redmond Walsh, I mean, there, there's not a whole lot of proven commodities back there. You, you've got some guys with 
real potential. Uh, ben Joyce, finally healthy, and, and he can really pump the gas in there. Touched 103 a couple of weeks ago, throwing in a bullpen. Uh, Kirby Connell, he's back, but he, he wasn't what Sean Hunley was last year. Only three walks in 48 innings or so, which is very impressive. But the flip side to that was he left a lot of pitches in the zone and, and sometimes got teed off on. Uh, so you, you don't want – I like Kirby. I have confidence in Kirby, but you don't necessarily want him being your, your number one, your number two guy out of the pin. So that's why I'm more concerned about the bullpen, Mike, is after Redmond, who will be your closer, he'll be your guy that comes in and gets you out of a jam in late inning situations. Outside of Redmond, there, there's no proven commodities back there, uh, maybe outside of a Kirby Connell. And that's where Ben Joyce – I mean, you look at last year's roster, Ben Joyce maybe was the missing piece on that team just I mean an, an absolute dynamic bullpen arm because Sean Hundley was mostly very effective um, but you know sat in low 90s Ben Joyce is that power arm that, that Tennessee didn't really have out of the bullpen last year so how good he is is going to have a, a major say in this and then there's the wild card element of Ethan Smith the Vanderbilt transfer that if Tennessee gets a waiver for him that's a guy who might be able to throw twice in a weekend as well and he put up some outstanding numbers at Vanderbilt um, before transferring to Tennessee this spring. So if that's a guy that you can get in that mix as well, and he could start, I mean, that's also an option there where you can talk about him maybe taking that, that Sewell spot and having Sewell out of the pen. But right there, having that guy eligible also really changes, I think, the prospects of that group. But yeah, after the, the small little list of returners that, that Tennessee has, you know, you start talking about new guys. Wyatt Evans was a guy that I know you and I both were very impressed with in the fall. Uh, freshman kid from South Carolina, big, like six five, six six kid. Huge. Uh, just looked good. Um, and Drew Beam is a name that I know Tony Vitello mentioned last week, another freshman from, from the mid-state area as well. I think Blackman High School kid. Um, so those are two guys that you start talking about maybe being in that, that mix. We saw Xander Seacrest throw a lot in the fall. I thought he had moments where he was decent. Uh, Mark McLaughlin is still a name floating out there. He started last year. Uh, at a few points when Tennessee needed it. Kind of, I think in that era before Will Heflin kind of settled into the, the Saturday role. Yeah, from not he mistaken. was more of a midweek guy too. Yeah, but a, a guy that made a couple on the weekend. Um, He's pitched a ton. He has 20 appearances over the last two years, and that's a lot for a young guy. So there's another arm that, that maybe Tennessee counts on in, in some – I don't know what role that looks like, but but in, in – I mean, he's probably a bullpen guy, but a guy that can spot start you as well. So there, there are options there. Um, Jake Fitzgibbons, be, be remiss to forget about him because the, the staff was very excited about him uh, early last year. I mean, he wasn't talked about as the same player as Blade Tidwell, but when it came to talking about freshman pitchers last year, uh, Jake Fitzgibbons was a guy that, that got mentioned, but he kind of had a setback right before the season, and uh, I don't know if he ever fully became the exact pitcher last year that the staff thought he was going to be. So, yeah, but, man, Will Mabry out there, Hollis Fanning, so just – Della Schmidt. I mean, there, there are names there that we saw throw in the fall, um, but all very unproven for the most part. Yes, and that's why I am more concerned with the bullpen after these injuries. I, I still have a feeling for what I'm going to get out of the rotation with Sewell, Dolander, Burns, and Redmond Walsh, his 17th season as of all. You know he's going to have a good year, but a, a lot of question marks. Can Ben Joyce – really tap into that potential that he certainly has, but he's coming off of Tommy John, hasn't been through a college season at this level, hasn't been through the SEC. That's a question mark. Again, Kirby 
Cannell. I like Kirby, but maybe not somebody you want as your your top one or two guys out of the bullpen. But now he's going to have to be with with Halverson out and, and Sewell in the rotation. Will Mabry, I, I think Will Mabry is going to have a real good year. I've, I've heard good things about him. He's He's got the velo up. Last year was kind of used as a lefty specialist in particular situations against a lefty. And he came in and for the most part did his job, but he's he's up the velocity and has been looking good from what I've heard. Mark McLaughlin is a guy that, as you mentioned, and we just talked about, it's thrown a lot of innings, but can he take that next step to where he can be a reliable SEC arm out of the bullpen? And I, I think that's kind of the story of the bullpen right now is that you, you have some guys who have flashed here and there, but can Will Mabry, Mark McLaughlin, Jake Fitzgibbons, Hollis Fanning, Xander Seacrest, can Kirby Connell even, can they take that next step and, and really become uh, powerful SEC arms in this league? There, there's just a whole lot of question marks with this pitching staff right now, but I do think that there's still a lot of talent there. And would you give the benefit of the doubt to Frank Anderson to to maneuver his way through this mess, if, if you want to call, call it that? I, I certainly feel like he deserves – the benefit of the doubt and we'll find a way to piece it together. Uh, I would give Frank Anderson that, that benefit. Um, and I think, you know, you're, when we're talking bullpen and there's so many names, um, but what's so interesting is I think Tennessee has seen guys step up into those roles. I mean, you look back at an Andrew Schultz who just kind of rocketed up out of nowhere. I mean, throwing super hard all of a sudden became a, well, maybe seventh ish round pick of the Phillies a couple of years back, but that that's a guy who, wasn't really known as a, as a dominant reliever and then just burst, um, I think in 2020. Um, so the, the short 20, season, but yeah, short season. Yeah. So, but had that, that sudden boom, I'm here. I'm really good. Um, you know, so I think Tennessee expects you'll, you know, you'll have a guy like that. They had Will Heflin last year, step into that as a, as a rotation guy. Uh, and as Will Heflin, SEC starter, Saturday starter on Omaha squad, is something needs to be talked about more uh, because that, that that's kind of wild. I mean, that's, you know, Jackson Leith going down. That obviously is, is how that all happened. But Will Heflin was very reliable uh, throughout the middle of SEC play last year. So I, I think that's how you look at it. You say there's a lot of options there and Frank Anderson's probably got answers there. And one thing I do want to point out because there was somewhat of a, a freak out once the Blade Tidwell injury went down and people questioning not, not a lot, but just a, a couple who aren't as familiar with college baseball, uh, just kind of questioning if Tennessee's staff wasn't handling arms correctly. And I, I can assure you that is not the case. That, that's just – that's college baseball, quite frankly. And the, these type of injuries, the, there's one or two every, every year. Tennessee has dealt with it with Garrett Crochet. Uh, with, Arkansas got hit this year. Their their first yes, rounder, Peyton Paulette. Uh, Tommy John. Yep, he he's out this year for for Tommy John, and he was kind of Blade's competition for best returning starter in the SEC. Him and uh, Hunter Barco down at Florida, yeah, but yeah. He, each if you pay attention to kind of SEC baseball going into the year, not even just SEC baseball, college baseball, all these injuries are announced right before the season each program is dealing with some type of injury it's just the, the human body isn't meant to to throw baseballs the way that these guys are and, and there's so many guys on a roster these things happen all over the place so uh, i do want to emphasize that it's nothing to freak out about in terms of 
Tennessee's wrongdoing. And I understand that most don't keep up with college baseball, you know, as a fanatic. Uh, so certainly not trying to talk down to anybody, more so trying to educate. And th- these things happen. And it's just really unfortunate that it happened to, to Tennessee's best pitcher uh, last year. Sean Scott, a, a freshman, uh, had to be shut down due to Tommy John. And that's wasn't talked about it as much because he he's not as prominent of a name. But these type of injuries – a program has at least one who is shut down due to Tommy John or something significant at all times, um, pretty much. But I, I do want to touch on the rotation kind of a, from a, a big picture standpoint. Even without Blake Tidwell, they still have two future first-round picks <laughs> in, in the rotation in Chase Dolander and Chase Burns. And then Camden Sewell is a guy that just pitched extraordinary in the SEC tournament last year when when he had to start. So I, I think this pitching starting pitching staff of Sewell, Dolander, Burns, I, I think it's 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 gonna be in Fuego to start the year, even without Tidwell. We're gonna issue a quick apology to Andrew Schultz, who was in fact drafted in the sixth round <laughs> in twenty nineteen. Uh, the Phillies was the correct team. Yes. So yes. I went one I thought it was three. after that that regional in, in North Carolina. I couldn't remember if he came back for uh, 2020. Yeah, I went one for three on the facts, but, um, <laughs> you know, we are where we are. We Yes, Super Bowl Sunday was last night. Allegedly. And as a, as a Michigan native, it meant a lot, obviously, to see Matthew Stafford win the Super Bowl. So I was repping the Detroit Lions last night. I was very, a, I was, I was very happy for you. It's, it's been a tough go for your Lions, for your Red Wings, for your Pistons, and for your Detroit Tigers. And fun fact, I'm a fan of none of those teams. So <laughs> that I am not Troy Provo Heron, who is a fan of that every be, professional sports franchise. That that would not be Troy. Troy is a a different team from from every different city. It's like a Cowboys, a Lakers, a Thunder, a Rays, a Red Sox. I heard he likes every hockey team though, so it's kind of crazy. Which I can't talk too much. I, I'm a diehard Steelers and diehard Yankees fan, but I did live in New York for four years when I was a kid, and that's when I was first getting into baseball. So I, I have a legitimate excuse. Troy, on the other hand, uh, not so much. But Mike, this pitching staff with Tidwell back, three future first rounders, and even with Sewell in the mix. I mean, Sewell's going to get drafted and, and get a chance professionally as well. I think so. And one quick thing there is Troy comes up short on excuses. Um, yeah, you, we, you, you, you did touch on this earlier with, with Burns. Burns breaking ball is tighter and more firm than, than Blade Tidwell's was at this time last year. And that's saying something is Blade Tidwell has a wipeout slider. <laughs> like that's, that's a dominant pitch. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. And, and Chase Burns has a better one. It, at the same time in his career. Uh, so that, that tells you why Chase Burns was so highly coveted in last year's MLB draft, where he probably would have been a top 50 pick, if not higher in that bracket, uh, if he hadn't decided he was going to come to Tennessee. So that tells you how good he is. And, and Dolander was great as a freshman last year at Georgia Southern, freshman All-American, guy who needs to up the innings, obviously. I think his innings tail off toward later in the season. Um, but, you know, it's, it's a long season. It's a different grind. Um, but that's a guy that Tennessee's going to count on a whole lot uh, because realistically, Chase Burns' stuff is great. Tony Vitello talks big about his makeup, his attitude, how he approaches everything. But you're still talking about a freshman as a Friday night guy. 
Um, and that's a lot. So if, if Burns isn't dominating that way and he becomes a Saturday guy, they need Dolan or Sewell to be ready to be that guy as well. So they, they've got choices and options there. But Sewell's the only one that, that we've seen do it at Tennessee. And he's done it very well in a lot of different roles for a long time. Yeah, so I'm, I'm intrigued to watch how the bullpen shapes out. I'm very excited to get to watch these starting pitchers every single weekend and can't wait until Blake Tidwell joins them because it, it will be whew, it'll be even more exciting. Two more things I want to hit on before we get out of here. We, we mentioned them in passing, but in terms of potential impact freshmen, I want to emphasize Drew Beam and Wyatt Evans because I think they're the other two that are truly, truly going to, to get early innings. And based off how those innings go, they could develop or earn rather a significant role down the stretch as SEC play gets here and going into SEC play. And ideally you'd like to see that. What's interesting. I think Evans is the guy that we saw do more in the fall Mm -hmm. um, and impress in that way. Um, I don't remember seeing a whole lot of drew beam um, at that point, but they also probably threw about 47 different freshman righties. I'm kidding. There weren't that many, um, Maybe. but there's just a whole lot of arms that you see through the fall, but with Evans, they already got a couple lefties in the bullpen. They, they know they can count on. Um, so the, the lefty innings are a little bit different there um, in terms of being behind a guy like Redmond and, and a Kirby Connell and, and guys like that. So um, yeah, but I think Evans, just again, from a projectability standpoint, when you see a six, six lefty kid slinging it the way that he did. Um, and I thought he was very good. The, the two or three times I saw him, I think that's a guy who's got a big shot. Yes, I completely agree. I, I'm intrigued to see if that carries over from the fall. I, I know, as you know, Tennessee was very excited to steal him away from South Carolina. And it certainly looked like it was, it was paying off in the fall. Last thing. And, and, you did mention this. Is Ethan Smith the bona fide X factor? Um, is he without a doubt your X factor on this pitching staff? Or are you going to go with Chase Burns? Because I do think Chase Burns will have a terrific SEC or not SEC season, but I, I think he'll have a terrific rookie campaign and be in the running for SEC freshman of the year when it's all said and done. Are, are you rolling with him? Because Tennessee needs him to have a good year, Chase Burns. Are you rolling with Ben Joyce because of what he could potentially add to the bullpen, as you discussed? Or are you rolling with the Vanderbilt transfer, Ethan Smith, just because that's a, another big-time arm that the, the Vols have sneakily added? I'm going to go with none of the above. Okay, I love it. I'm going to go with Camden Sewell. Okay. And that's because, again, going back to the, the comment a minute ago, he's the guy that you really know what you can expect to get. And look back two years ago, going into the 2020 season, so I think Sewell had a back issue right there that kind of hampered him. Mm -hmm. But going into that year, he was the talk of everything. Uh, I mean, Camden Sewell was the guy. Uh, you're talking about that rotation with Crochet. I mean, that, that was a big deal, um, was Camden Sewell, how good he was in the fall. Um, just have phenomenal praise all about him. I think he's backed that up in the roles he's had. He's got to have a great year. He's got to have a big role. It's going to be a starter early in the season, it seems like. It could swing back the other way later in the year. But whatever role he has, he needs to be really good at it. And I think he will be because Tennessee has seen him do it. But if he's not good, 
a lot of question marks fall throughout this whole pitching staff because wherever he he slides in, I think everything else kind of slides around him at a point. Fair to say he has to be this year's Sean Hunley? Yes. I'd say it's almost a Sean Hunley-Will Heflin combination um, where, you know, Heflin was just so ready to fill that that Saturday role, and that might be the role that Sewell fills right now. Um, he could end up being a bullpen twice-a-weekend guy too. Um, but whatever role Sewell takes on, man, it's going to be a really important one for this team. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to go with Ethan Smith just because he, he kind of feels like a cherry on top and just Tennessee already had talent on its pitching staff, and now it's adding another potentially great arm that just wasn't used a whole lot while in Nashville at Vanderbilt. And I, I just – I expect Camden to have a good year. I As crazy it sounds, I expect Chase Burns to have a good year, Chase Dolander, who I guess could also be considered an X-factor because they need him to perform well. Um, Mark McLaughlin, can he step up? Ben Joyce, X-factor because he, he has the tools to be a, as dominant as anybody in this league. But I, I kind of think that Tennessee is going to get good production from all of those guys, and, and Tennessee was already going to have a good pitching staff in totality, but then you're essentially adding a guy for free. It's like a trade deadline pickup before the season even starts. And I just think anything that he can provide is an added bonus. First, they got to get him eligible. Um, sounds like uh, Tennessee could hear back this week prior to opening day. That That's at least the vibe and, and the hope. Um, and it's the NCAA. So I don't know whether to tell you Tennessee feels good about it or, or not. I don't think they feel good or bad about it. It's, it's a situation where he kind of transferred between semesters or from semester to semester. So that's the holdup and why he needs to gain eligibility. Um, but it, it would be an absolute huge boost. And I, I would think that he comes out of the bullpen. His numbers at Vandy look good. He just didn't pitch a ton uh, or really pitching too many high leverage situations but man if if he can be eligible and be what his, his statistics and think that they can be that's a huge boost you know and a lot of these guys can definitely be labeled x factors i think i said ethan smith was a wild card earlier but yeah no, no matter how it shakes out i mean to me I, I come back to cameron sewell just because i trust him as a veteran pitcher um and i think that's probably the same way the staff feels about him and yeah if he's if he's effective, that's great for Tennessee. You want Chase Burns, Chase Dolander, all three guys with C first names. Fun fact, we can surely workshop a nickname for that group um, in our many, many hours coming in the press box. But yeah, the the Tidwell thing, the Halverson thing could have put Tennessee in a very sticky situation. But yeah, they, they've got a lot of options to turn to, especially in the rotation. Sticky situation, it could have been for sure. Last thing on the way out the door, big Hit your question. What is your expectation for the Vols this season? Obviously, they're not going to go out and win 50 games. At least I would be surprised if they, they went out and won 50 games and won the SEC East for a second straight year. Uh, I think they're capable of making it to the World Series, but I think I'd be a little bit surprised just because of all the question marks on the pitching staff at the moment. And there's a lot of question marks in, in the lineup as well. Guys need to prove themselves. But 
to me, Mike, they're at minimum an NCAA tournament team. And I do think that they'll be a good team and they'll have their moments of, of, of greatness. And, and then they'll also have some moments of inconsistency. Why, while guys are kind of figuring things out in, in new roles. So your expectations and, and kind of your thought on the Vols entering Tony Vitello's fifth year. Yeah, I think you said it pretty well there. Um, I, I do have a lot of questions about the lineup just because that, that group lost so many key faces. Um, I think you, know, you lose your one, two, three hitters, all of whom were outstanding last season. Um, I think the loss of Jake Rucker is bigger than people realize. Cause I Rucker was just so good and consistent last year in that three hole. And, and that's such a key, a key position on, on any baseball team. But to me, what really is, is an interesting piece for Tennessee season is this is the schedule. Um, the, the road schedule in particular, I think they go to Florida, Vanderbilt, Ole Miss, Mississippi state. Um, there might be one other one in there that I'm forgetting. That's it's pretty tough. Um, Georgia's gotten a lot better. Alabama's gotten a lot better. Uh, I mean, there, there are teams that, Tennessee plays now and they have a lot more difficult road games this year. Um, so I, I'm intrigued by it. I, I think it's for sure an NCAA tournament team. I'd be shocked if it's not. I think it's certainly got a shot to get out of a regional too, just based on how you never know how those fall. But um, assuming Tennessee has its pitching staff healthy at that point in the year, it's certainly conceivable to see them getting out of a regional again. Um, I don't know that it's an Omaha team. Uh, and that, that does go back to the number of question marks going into the season. Uh, that could get answered, but when I mean, there's this many question marks, it's, it's tough to look at it and say, Oh yeah, they're going to the college world series exactly as they are. Uh, so yeah, I think definitely NCAA tournament team and potential to get in that second round. It'll be a fun year. That is one thing we do know. It'll be a fun year. And as the year develops, as Tennessee gets into conference play and, and they do have some fun non-conference matchups, Georgia Southern will be fun. The tournament in Houston against Baylor and Texas and Oklahoma will be fun. Uh, as the season unfolds, how can the good people follow you and your work as you cover the team? My Twitter presence is phenomenal, so people should definitely Debatable. follow me there. Uh, by Mike Wilson, by Mike Wilson, where good jokes and witty rapport or retorts will be given out throughout the season. Um, yeah, by Mike Wilson, then Goval's Extra and KnoxNews.com for the words that I, I write for the internet and the newspaper. Mike, appreciate your time, and we'll be sure to have you back on here soon. Can't wait. Joined now by Ryan Shumpert of RockyTopInsider.com. Ryan, it's Monday. Th this pod is coming out on Tuesday, but we are recording on Monday, and I, I just can't believe that opening – week is here feels like yesterday we were living it up in Omaha it does it's crazy it always sneaks up on you I think it was last year they pushed the season back even a week but even a week later it always always uh sneaks up on you and, and that's the great thing about baseball is it gets going early and I think it's till July 2nd will be the next Saturday that we we don't have any college baseball so excited to get rolling in what should be an exciting season and already it's kind of had some uh, drama even before it started it has it has and uh, brought you on to to talk about and, and help me preview Tennessee's position players, but do want to ask you about Blade Tidwell and Seth Halverson and, and those two injuries because going into the year, those are the two biggest storylines. I I shouldn't really say two. It's really kind of, in my opinion, one, yeah. two storylines wrapped into one. But 
the the Blade Tidwell development is significant. And uh, for those who are unaware and were under a rock uh, uh, two weeks two weeks ago or so, uh, Blade Tidwell shut down for who knows how long. He'll he'll be back at some point, uh, but is shut down right now with some uh, shoulder soreness, and uh, that is a result of stiffness in his shoulder, which I, I don't think I've ever heard that combination with a picture of stiffness leading to soreness. So uh, I thought that was pretty interesting, but uh, that's a big development for Tennessee that they'll, they'll be without Blake Tidwell until end of March, early April, essentially probably the, the beginning of SEC play. And that's if everything goes according to plan. Yeah, and it's I think the, the uncertainty of it is what makes the situation uh, such a bad one for Tennessee. And when you look at it, I mean, it, you know, obviously this is just official a few weeks ago, but this has kind of been going back to really pretty quickly after the season ended. He was uh, with Team USA playing in those collegiate scrimmages. He got shut down during that, didn't didn't throw any in the fall. And so it's kind of been a long time coming that there's been at least a little bit of question marks of what's, what exactly is going on with Blade. So I think you're right. I think Tennessee is obviously optimistic that they'll have him back. But when they have him back is obviously such a, a massive question mark that I think you almost just have to approach the season as Tennessee of we're not going to have Blade Tidwell at some point. Hopefully he's going to be back and we'll deal with it when he is back. But for right now in Tennessee's pitching staff, it's kind of they just have to work with life and, and without Tidwell and hope he comes back at some some point before the postseason. Who do you think uh, starts in his place in the meantime? Well, I think who starts in his place, you know, on that Friday night's a tough one. I think, you know, people ask me, you know, with Halverson and Tidwell, man, what does that do to the starting pitching? Who's going to be the weekend starters? To me, that that kind of clarifies who's going to be the weekend starters. I mean, I think you kind of had an idea of who it was going to be, but I actually went back and was listening to the Vitello talking to Fall, and I asked him his last press conference, who are who's still in the competition? And he said five guys, the two guys that are hurt, and then Doland, Chase Dolander, Chase Burns, and Camden Sewell. So, to me, those three guys are pretty obviously the guys that are going to have to start now. Uh, those are the three most talented pitchers that are healthy on Tennessee's roster. Now, who gets that Friday night start? I would maybe go Camden just because of the experience aspect there. Uh, I could see, especially with Georgia Southern this week, Dolander, his old team, first start at Tennessee. Maybe don't want to have him be too reared up. And then, obviously, Burns, just a freshman. So, uh, Sewell seems like uh, the maybe the guy just from the experience standpoint, but I think it's three pitchers that are, that are still really solid in Tennessee's back or weekend rotation. Absolutely. And uh, it, it'll be quite the storyline to follow over the first month or so of the season and, and just getting updates every now and then from Vitello uh, will be interesting to follow. I'm, I'm sure he will get tired of us pretty quickly, <laughs> yeah. but, uh, but, but when a, a potential first round pick, a top 10, top five potential pick is, is dealing with that type of injury. And he, he means so much to a team. Uh, you, you can expect a lot of questions about his availability. Flipping to the position players, which is the main reason you're on here, because I, I need your help, as always, Shumpert. There's so much competition. And, then, and there's always been competition at Tennessee uh, these last couple of years because the influx of talent from the recruiting that Tony Vitello and his staff has done has been just absolutely tremendous, but at second base, three or four guys could start. I, I have one in mind who I think will, will start. I have one in mind at shortstop who I think will start as well, but still shortstop second base. I mean, there's three, four, five guys that, that you could make a case for 
starting at those spots. But I want to start at catcher. And it's not really a, a new story line for you or I because we've been keeping up uh, even throughout the offseason. But to uh, the casual Tennessee baseball fan who is just kind of just now jumping back on board since the season is here, the, the biggest storyline – is that Evan Russell is now playing catcher. I was, I, in fact, I was talking to my mom over the weekend and she was asking me about the team and she pays pretty close attention. She knows the players and, and whatnot, but she doesn't keep, you know, pay that close attention during fall ball and, and that kind of stuff. Yeah. And, and she was asking me about Evan Russell and I said, yeah, he's going to be the starting catcher. And she was just absolutely mind blown. So from, from that standpoint, Evan Russell and how he transitions to catcher, is the biggest storyline going into the season, in my opinion. I agree. I think it's the biggest question mark with the team, and it's there's not really any easy solution or quick answer to it. I mean, when uh, it was massive question when you lose Pavilonian Greer from last year, McCormick, uh, the transfer from West Virginia, decides that he doesn't want to play. And, you know, I think it made a lot of sense for, for Evan Russell just because he's looking at how does he extend his baseball career and, and bring it to the next level, obviously looked at it going out this year in, in the 20-round draft that didn't have an opportunity. And then you look at he's the fact that he's played catcher before. Tennessee has, you know, we talk about – we're talking about position players here and all this competition and newness. Well, Tennessee's outfield has unbelievable depth. So it was an opportunity where Tennessee really wasn't – not to say they weren't going to miss him in the outfield, but not nearly as much as they might have if, or might uh, play in a different spot. So I think it's a big question. We saw him in the fall watch some scrimmage. It was – baptize these guys by fire. I mean, Tennessee just ran and ran and ran and ran against their catchers. And sometimes they did it with a decent amount of success. So I think it's a massive question. How effective can he be? And it's just one of those things that you really aren't going to know until you get out there and, and see him one, get a little bit of time under his belt and get some comfortability in this position. He hasn't played in five years. And then two, once he starts facing SEC lineups that are are really going to be looking to capitalize on it. It'll be interesting to see how he performs, but throughout fall, he he looked like a catcher. He did not look out of place, in my opinion, when uh, I saw him scrimmage against Louisiana Tech when they went to Memphis, when when, when we were sitting there at, at fall ball scrimmages at Lindsey Nelson. He looked like a catcher. Now, I don't think he's going to go out and win the gold glove and, and be the best defensive catcher in the country, and I would be surprised if he's just gunning down runners left and right. But in terms of just receiving pitches and and throwing down to second, throwing down to third, and and just basic catcher stuff, he he looked like he belonged. He did, and it, it almost it, I mean it really is kind of a similar feeling to what Rick Barnes said about Jonas and do after the Mississippi State game. He just looked he looked like he belonged. He looked comfortable out there. It didn't look like. He was playing a position that, you know, he had no idea what to do with, which is what you worry about, especially at a position with as many intricacies as catcher. So I think that's a big positive point. I'll be interested to see uh, that Vitello had some high praise for Charlie Taylor last week. It does feel like it's pretty clear Russell's the starter, Taylor's the backup. But we've seen Tennessee play both catchers a lot. Really, last year was the first year that Tennessee had a starting catcher. And even then, Jackson Greer earned a lot of playing time. So both those guys are going to have a lot of – opportunities and I'll be interested to see what Taylor looks like really just as much as Russell. Yeah. That kind of su- surprised me. Not that Charlie Taylor's the backup, but that Tony didn't shy away from somewhat praising him. That was kind of the first time that he had gone out there and, and legitimately praised him. So it sounds like 
Charlie Taylor has taken a step forward and he redshirted last year as a, a true freshman. Um, and Tennessee's always had high hopes for Charlie ever since they, they signed him. Um, but you're just behind Connor Pavoloni, a, a great catcher last year. And then Jackson Greer, uh, far more than just a serviceable, serviceable backup as well. So no need to kind of burn his, his true freshman season, but kind of surprised to see Tony go out on a limb the way that he did. And I also am interested to see if uh, Ryan Miller, uh, Jared Dickey, if, if those guys can, can get some at bats as, as well in midweek games and, uh, the, these non-conference games leading into conference play, I, I think that you'll see them get some at-bats here and there. Jared Dickey showed off the power all throughout fall ball, and he won the home run derby back in the fall that the team had. And he he's the not as much of a catcher as the other guys. He kind of bounces around, can, can play some corner outfield, can play some first, uh, can catch. I, I think that it wouldn't be surprising to me at all if he slides in at DH at some point and gets a, a starting nod there just because of the pop in his bat. And then Ryan Miller, he's probably the third string catcher, if I had to guess. Uh, kind of dealt with the yips at one point during the summer and, and early in fall, but seems to have corrected that. And he's another guy that has a lot of pop in his bat. Yeah, you're right. And Jared Dickey, that's what stood out first about him is his bat. I mean, he was very impressive in the fall. I think the question was just how effective can he be behind the plate? But overall, to your point, you're right. I mean, it seemed like it was Evan Russell one, and then those three guys kind of in a pack together behind behind him together. So it was interesting that Vitello said that had such high praise for Taylor and kind of went out and said that he's distinguished himself as the number two catcher. And he talked specifically about you know, it's clear when guys come back uh, after Christmas and when they do they do their work, and it, it seemed like he Taylor did that and it's been really impressive since coming back at the start of the preseason practice. Yeah, so I to, to summarize the catching position going into the year, don't think Evan Russell is, is going to go out and defensively win any awards, but I do think he'll be serviceable and and more than serviceable, and I spoke with Connor Pavoloni last week, and uh, Pav and Evan worked together over winter break, and, and Pav was adamant that that he looks fine. Again, not going to go out and win any awards, but uh, more than serviceable for sure. Up the middle, there's just question marks all over the place. <laughs> like, like I mentioned earlier, uh, obviously catcher falls under up the middle category, so, so that's a question mark, and, and seeing how Evan transitions there. But again, at shortstop, at second base, three, four, five guys could start at, at either spot. I think on opening day, come Friday, I, I definitely think Cortland Lawson will be the starting shortstop. Uh, I've heard that he's been the most consistent bat here of late, and he's just absolutely terrorizing the baseball. And he did that in the fall, and it seems to have carried over into the spring. So it, it seems like Cortland Lawson is going to start at shortstop. And then if I had to guess, I think Logan Steenstra is going to start at second. And again, Shumpert, there's just so many options. Uh, at second, Seth Stevenson, the speedster, the, the Juco signee uh, that Tennessee almost lost to the draft, or at least it was a possibility. Uh, he's going to play a lot. He could start. Um, Logan Chambers, who I think will start in left field, and, and we'll get to left field here in, in a moment. But he could start at second if need be. Christian Moore a freshman that Tennessee signed out of New York who is an absolute stud. He could start at second. Um, you, you could slide Cortland Lawson over to second if you needed to. 
I'm sure I'm I'm missing somebody. And and then at shortstop, I mean, those guys can pretty much play shortstop as, as well. I think Jarrell Ortega is more of a, a third baseman, but Trey Lipscomb could play shortstop if you needed to. He'll be your everyday third baseman. But the, the competition up the middle is, is just out of this world ridiculous at the moment. It is, and so much versatility, which is kind of what you were getting at at the end. And when you start thinking about all the possibilities of tinkering, moving guys to different spots, I mean, there's so many – so many different combinations Tennessee can go to. And I think that's where it is. You said it earlier, there's been competition in the past past few years. But still, when, once you got to game time, once you got to SEC play, you knew who the guys were going to be, or at least you were very confident who the guys were going to be. And that's just not the case right now. I mean, it's whatever an opening day lineup is could look completely, completely different from what it does when Tennessee opens SEC play against South Carolina in mid-March. And, and that's what I'll be interested to see. You know, Lawson has been the one, I think, the guy that's been most impressive when you look at from what he's done in the past. You know, not necessarily – he was behind Steenstra as the backup shortstop last year. You know, I think just had 13, 14 at-bats. Was good in him as a freshman, but nothing spectacular. And he's been seemingly really, really consistent from the fall on and, and both with, at the plate and with his glove. And I you mentioned Christian Moore. I don't know if he'll be in the starting lineup and, and on Friday night against Georgia Southern, but he's a guy I just have a hard time seeing Tennessee keeping out of the lineup for long. I mean, he'll play a ton. Is, yeah, and the, the talent there is just – I mean, I think he has the potential to be one of Tennessee's best bats, or at least at least the best uh, of the new coming bats. I mean, I, at least from what we've seen, to me, he's the best one. So I have a hard time thinking they'll be able to keep him off the field for long. Stevenson's the one that I think so – is kind of the X factor because what he can do on the base pass with his speed, I think is, is could be as good as anybody in the SEC, not naming Enrique Bradfield Jr. at Vanderbilt. But how consistent is, he, consistent is he with the glove? How consistent is he at the plate? He doesn't seem to be as, as strong as a hitter as some of the other guys he's competing against. And obviously, if you don't get on base, that base running isn't it doesn't it doesn't prove to be effective. You know, just ask Tennessee fans who watch Jay Charleston for multiple years. He, he could get on or he could steal the bases every time when he got on, but he doesn't always get on. So it's it's going to be fascinating to watch. Like you said, it feels like there's about six guys in the middle infield spots that can start. And then when you mix around, the fact that you can move them around, just so many different combinations. And it's going to be fascinating to watch. And it's it feels like it could be uh, different different guys starting at every one of those spots every single day. Now, Lawson, I, it, it feels like he has a little more tighter grip over that, on that shortstop job. But, but at second base, to me, I think you're going to just see uh, maybe every time you come to the park, a different starter. Yep, I, I think that's going to be the situation at, at left field, shortstop, second. Uh, I, don't, I don't think that outside of a, a few guys that there's really going to be a set lineup un, until SEC play. There's going to be a lot of different combinations tried out. There, there's going to be a lot of guys that are given an opportunity, and whoever performs the best is going to play, obviously. But I don't, I don't think that that will really be decided until – beginning of conference play rolls around and, and even then there's a two to week two to three weekend uh grace period uh, of guys also proving themselves in in sec play uh so it, it'll be fascinating to watch and i i mentioned that evan russell in my opinion is the biggest storyline for the the casual uh fan going into this season i think the biggest question mark isn't evan russell however I, I have more confidence in kind of Evan behind the plate catching defensively and at the plate with the bat in his hand. I have more confidence in that right now as of today than I do Trey Lipscomb at third base who is getting finally getting his 
chance to, to start every day now that Jake Rucker has moved on uh, to the professional ranks. Even Cortland Lawson, even Seth Stevenson at second, Logan Steenstra at second, Christian Moore at second, whoever's at second, that entire third base, shortstop, second base, just none of those guys are proven. The talent is there. The skill set is there. But you know what you're going to get from the bat of Evan Russell. I have a fairly good idea of what the glove is going to provide as well. Just going to be kind of be steady Eddie. And although that's the big storyline, I think the bigger question mark is, can Trey Lipscomb become that SEC every game starting third baseman that this staff has always envisioned? Uh, is is the Cortland Lawson hype for real? And then the talent that is at second base, can any of those guys take the job and run with it and become a consistent, steady force within the lineup? So you're saying like the overall, the three infield spots, bigger question than the catcher spot alone. Yes, yeah, I, I would. I, yeah. No, I think that's fair when you take all three of them in, into effect, because like you said, it's just there's no consistent playing time for anybody that's going to have any chance of playing there. I mean, there's not. Yeah, there's 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 nothing that's that's for certain there. Uh, I think and that's what's interesting to me is Trey Lipscomb seemingly is the one job that's as locked up as can be as he's going to, at least at the start of the year. Now he's going to have to go out and prove it on the field, just like all these guys are, because none of them have uh, proven on the field before. Uh, and to me, that's fascinating. You mentioned Ortega seems to be the other guy there and, and Chambers too, who can play there, but I'm not sure they're too comfortable with his glove. To me, it's, it's going to be fascinating to see if Trey, because Trey Lipscomb has done it consistently against lesser opponents. And I don't know how much we're really going to, Prove until we get to SEC play. I know they have the weekend in Houston where they have three Big 12 opponents. But to me, that's going to be one. And it's going to be really a lot of those guys in the infield, but especially Lipscomb because we've seen him be very good against lesser opponents. And when he's gotten the at-bats against better opponents, hasn't been great. So to me, that that's what makes that one so fascinating. You mentioned that two, three-week grace period in the start of SEC play. He's going to be a guy that my eyes are just going to be right on him, uh, focused on him in that start uh, because – it's just, it is a big question mark to me. If I, well, I was going to say on, on the catcher debate, if it was just third base, I would still go catcher. Cause I think you do have enough other, other capable guys. You just have so many bodies in the infield that while more of them are at middle infield, I do think you can move some around the third if, if need be, but it's going to be fascinating to see. It's, you know, I think if there's one thing that if you're looking why why is Tennessee fourth in the SEC preseason, why is Tennessee not in the top 10? It's the fact that in that infield, you lost your, one, two, and three hitters, and those guys were starters for you for two two years and then three years for Ferguson and Rucker. So it's going to be far, far easier said than done, far, far easier to point to the bodies, to point to the talent and say, okay, they're fine there, than it really is to go out and show it with the consistency that those three guys did for multiple years. Yeah, maybe I shouldn't be buying into Evan Russell as much as Evan Russell, the catcher, that is. Maybe yeah. I shouldn't buy into him as much uh, until – we have a month's sample size of his work, but I, I don't know. I just, I don't think it's going to be an issue. Like uh, people will assume from him making the jump from, from left field to catcher. I, I think he's just going to be steady Eddie. And just those other guys that second short and third, they, they just haven't proven it over time. So we'll see how that plays out. At first Luke Lipsius is back for his 13th year uh, at Tennessee. And uh, he, he's not going to hit, 280, 290, 300. 
but he's going to hit a lot of, of really hard balls and, and he's going to hit a lot of homers. And I don't have the stat to back this up. And we talked about this last year, Shumpert. It, it felt like he was really unlucky. He struggles against lefties, but it also felt like he hit a lot of hard line drives right at people. And, and maybe that average wasn't actually reflective of, of how well he was performing at the plate. It, it seemed like there's a, a, a little bit of bad luck mixed in there, but that lefty powerful bat is, is going to be on display once again this year. And I, I think the bigger question at first base is how much playing time does Blake Burke get a, another true freshman who like Christian Moore, it's going to be hard to keep him out of the lineup. He's not going to overtake Luke for the starting first base role, but it, it wouldn't surprise me to see Blake Burke as the starting DH at some point or, or get an opportunity early in the season because like Luke, like I was just saying about Luke, when watching Blake in the fall, every single ball that he hit was just an absolute rope. I mean, he just absolutely crushes the ball, and he crushed several home runs. So I think that's another freshman bat that, that's going to be hard to keep out of the lineup. And that's the the biggest question going into the season at first base is how can they find him at bats? Yeah, I completely agree. I think Burke and Moore, like I said a minute ago, those are the two newcomering bats that were the most impressive in fall. And I would say maybe a decent gap behind them too. Kavaris Tears is another guy that can play a little bit of first base with Burke already there. Uh, I would have a hard time seeing him finding any playing time there this year, but you're right. What does, does Burke make force himself into the designated hitter role or at least in the conversation uh, you mentioned the thing with lefties. I don't have the stat. I mean, I'm pretty sure Luke Lipsy has hit uh, under 100 last year against lefties. I don't have it, it wasn't right good. in front of me. Yeah, it was really, really bad. And granted, you know, Burke is also a lefty, so it does not. it's not a necessarily easy solution to that issue. But Burke is a guy that has looked capable of hitting lefties, which you really can't say about what we've seen from Lipsy. So I'm curious. I kind of am skeptical that Burke will get a whole lot of starts at first base at least in weekend series against lefty pitching. But maybe that's something that he does, that he forces himself into that role if he hits well enough and Lipsius uh, doesn't pick it up this year. But and to your point about Lipsius and kind of the, the hard-hit contact, I was just pulled up his profile from last year. He was hitting 198 in early April. So I think you kind of saw right then it was like there's no way this guy's not a 198 hitter. I think you saw it, it kind of even out a little bit for him and he obviously ended the, the postseason play and then that last month of the season on a tear. I think ended up hitting right around 240. Let's see, have his profile up. I can figure it out. Yeah, ends up hitting 240, uh, 240 on the season. So he got it up, but he, that's that's much more to range he's in. I mean, it was crazy how, how much poor luck it seemed like he got in the first half of the season. And uh, he makes hard contact, line drive contact. I think really as consistent as anybody on this Tennessee roster. Yeah, and I like to make comparisons – uh, to to other teams on campus who people are more familiar with just just to simply give people an idea of kind of what what each player is and I have two that I want to give I wanted to compare Trey Lipscomb to Olivier Camwa in the sense of the coaching staff is really really high on the the prospect when when they sign them kind of have to wait their turn the the developmental process is maybe taking a little longer than expected but freak athletes, they've got a skill set, they've got the tools, they just kind of need to, to get a feel for the game, and they just need to play, honestly. And you've seen Olivier get better as the season progresses uh, until he unfortunately got hurt. I think you'll see the same from Trey Lipscomb 
at third. And then I think Luke Lipsius is a little bit like Josiah Jordan James, not, not the versatility aspect, but in the sense of fans wonder why he's playing and, and don't realize all the, the things that he does that don't necessarily show up in, in the box score um, or don't show up in the, the category that is most looked at on the box score. Like everybody with Josiah wants to look at points scored, but don't want to acknowledge the, the shots that he blocks and, and the assists and all the rebounds and offensive rebounds and his communication on the floor. And again, Luke isn't that versatile, but don't look at the average with Luke Lipsius. I mean, he, he tied for the team lead in home runs last year, hit 15, I believe it was. He, he had some absolute clutch at bats down the stretch when it, when it mattered most. And the contact rating is, is a real thing. And teams look at that in this era of, of baseball, and, and that's going to give him an opportunity to play professional baseball. So uh, I, I think those are two comparisons right there, just to give you a feel for what Luke Lipsius and Trey Lipscomb are. When you look at the outfield jumper, it's much more cut and dry than the infield. Jordan Beck in right field, preseason All-American, first-round pick if, if the season goes according to plan. Drew Gilbert, preseason All-American, I believe, uh, at least at, at one, one site. Um, potentially a first-round pick. I, I, I would definitely say a, a top-three-round pick, which is just as – I mean, that, that is, that's really good, too. Uh, don't don't yeah. get it twisted. Uh, so center field is taken care of. Right field is taken care of. Left field is the question mark with Evan moving to catcher. And all offseason, we had Kyle Booker kind of penciled in there at left field. But I thought Tony Vitello's comments last week when when he had his preseason media availability were very telling. And he flat out said that, hey, Kyle's been been struggling of late. He's been pressing, trying to do too much. And he's always kind of been like that. And he's always just performed when the lights come on and, and you take that into consideration. But it sounded to me like, like Kyle Booker wasn't going to be your starting left fielder on opening day. And I think that's where Logan Chambers slides in because he has been tearing it up in practice and his bat is, is going to play. And that's why they brought him here. I think they're going to stick him out in left field and, and see how it goes. Kyle Booker's going to get his opportunities. He could also DH. Uh, he, he's not going to be a bat that's kept out of the lineup. He's too talented and he performs when the lights come on, like I said, but I, I think going into opening day, I think Logan Chambers is going to be the starting left fielder. I think that's definitely possible. And you're right. Booker's comments were, were very telling by Vitello. And that's the type of thing that is the media. You just appreciate how many coaches in any, any sport on any campus give that sort of clarity and are just that straight up about an answer. So that's off topic, but, but appreciative of, of Vitello for that. But you're right. And I, Christian Scott's another guy that I – wouldn't rule out, you know, earning some starts early in the season, having a chance to to earn playing time. He, uh, I, I would say last year Booker, Booker was their best, you know, pinch hit bat off the bench, and I would say Scott was probably the second. Maybe Steenstra in there too. Those were the three best, at least in my opinion. And Greer, I guess you could start thinking of everybody coming flooding to mind now. But he, he's one of the guys, and I think is Booker and Scott are better on the defensive side of things than Chambers are. Chambers was. Like you said, he's a bat, and it was figure it out once he gets here where he's going to play. And you're right. I think it's another spot just like the middle infield where it's it's going to be about what we see the first month of the season. There's going to see a lot of different uh, guys getting run out there, a lot of different guys getting at bats from that spot. And it's as good as Chambers has been in the preseason, uh, put me on 
the Kyle Booker, you know, fan. I, there's a lot of people on the Kyle Booker fan club leaving last year, but I just have a hard time seeing him not be the guy that, that ultimately ends up being your everyday left fielder or at least more times than not your starting left fielder. Yes, and don't get it twisted. I still have a lot of stock in Kyle Booker. Just kind of reading into the the Kyle Booker comments from Tony Vitello last week and, and knowing that Logan Chambers has been on fire at the plate in, in January and leading up to the season makes me think that Logan Chambers will get the start in left field. I was going to bring up Christian Scott next. I'm glad that you did. He We talked about Cortland Lawson playing really well in the fall. Christian Scott was was really good in the fall as well, and he had some some really big hits, and his defense has always been there. I mean, he's a guy that, hey, if, if Kyle Booker struggles, if if Logan Chambers can't get it done out there in left field with the bat, I, I wouldn't be surprised if they throw him in there. And he, he's a way better fourth outfielder than, than most teams have. And if Beck gets hurt, if Gilbert gets hurt, if one of those other guys in left gets hurt – I mean, he, he, he'll step in and produce. He will, and you know, he's another guy, which I, I really, really like the Cam Latre-Lipscomb comparison. I think that was perfect. But I think, I think he's kind of in that same mold, too, where he's had great falls. He was fantastic in the preseason a year ago. He's had times in games where he's really flashed. It's just you, you haven't had the consistency when he's gotten put in the starting spots, which is what he was the opening day starter last year down at Georgia Southern. Uh, I was looking back at that. That was one I kind of forgot about a couple of weeks ago, looking back at the schedule that he started. And he's, he's more than capable. He's a, a great glove and a, a capable bat. So if he does end up getting some sort of consistent reps, more reps, he would not surprise me at all if he takes off and has a lot of success. And one last thing I'll say about him is he is just so what he's done, what he's done is so anti this age of college sports. I mean, he's a guy that is, could start at a lot of big schools in the outfield. You know, maybe not top-end SEC schools, but I think there are schools in the SEC that would take him as their starter and plenty of big schools around the country that would take him as their starter. He sat on the bench for three years. There's, it wasn't like there was some clear direct path to playing time this year. Every single outfielder that played last year came back, and he still decides for his senior year. I guess he'll have one more year of eligibility due to COVID. But uh, this senior year to stay at Tennessee, stay and play for at home, home state team he's a guy that's it's very easy to root for and a guy that uh, I'm sure Tennessee fans would love to like see have some success this year yeah two more things to hit on before we get out of here we'll hit on one more outfield aspect and, and then one big pitcher uh, aspect on the way out the door last thing on the outfield Jordan Beck and Drew Gilbert they're studs future professional baseball players but Jake Rucker's gone Connor Pavaloni's gone. Liam Spence is gone. Max Ferguson is gone. Pete Durkay, gone. A lot of veterans who have carried the lineup are gone. And now it, it's up to Drew Gilbert and Jordan Beck to carry the lineup. Uh, that, that's not the type of hitter that Evan Russell or Luke Lipsius is to carry a lineup. They're, they're in there for their, their power. And, and obviously – guys are going to have to step up and help. It can't all be Jordan Beck and, and Drew Gilbert, but those, those are your two best hitters, and they have to perform this season. Do you think that they will be able to handle doing that? I think so, uh, especially Gilbert's mental makeup. I mean, it, it doesn't seem like he's going to be – I mean, he's going, to, he's going full speed, has much pressure on himself. 
this. I don't think having the preseason accolades, having the fact that he is the guy now in the lineup is going to change things. Beck, I mean, I think you have maybe a little bit more question about it there, but I mean, Tony Vitello said last week he's swinging the bat as well as he's ever seen him. So I don't, you know, have a ton of concern. I, you know, I don't put it, man, I don't think Jordan Beck has the mental makeup to do that. You know, I don't feel like that, but at the same time, it wouldn't shock me to see him come out and struggle. And I think that's a great point you brought up because you go back and look at last year, the guys that got all the preseason notoriety, Connor Pavoloni and Max Ferguson, those guys came out and struggled in the first couple weeks of the season, the first really couple months of the season, especially, or maybe six weeks uh, for those two guys. And there wasn't, now they had the pressure of being the All-American, being the All-SEC guy, but they didn't have the pressure of having to produce game in and game out because Tennessee's lineup was deep enough last year. Tennessee's offense was still really good when those guys struggled. That's not going to be the case this year. If Drew Gilbert and Jordan Beck come out and struggle, Tennessee's offense is probably going to struggle. So I think there is even more added pressure on those two guys. And uh, last year, while that was certainly a storyline that we talked about, it wasn't one that really crippled or debilitated the team or dominated to talk about the team. It was talk about the team. All right, what are, what's the deal with these two guys? Tennessee's potential changes when they get going. This year, if those two guys struggle early in the year, it's going to dominate the talk because I think Tennessee is going to struggle with them. Yes, I completely agree with everything you just said. Not worried about Drew Gilbert. He's got the personality to uh, just get better under pressure. I think we saw that plenty last year <laughs> with uh, Drew Gilbert. But Beck maybe worries me just a smidge just because uh, we did see him get in his head last year and struggle because of it. But he's a year older. He's a veteran. And it sounds like things have really, really clicked for him. So I think he'll be fine. A big pitcher on the way out the door. I just mentioned everything that's gone off of last year's team. We, we didn't talk a whole bunch of pitching with you, but Chad Dallas is gone. Will Heflin, Sean Hunley, uh, big, big names gone off of last year's uh, pitching staff. 150 games, went to Omaha. Like there, there, there's probably going to be a, a slight step back. This team is still going to be good. They're still going to be good. They, they should be an NCAA tournament team. They should compete to go to Omaha. They should be one of the better teams in the SEC. Uh, I think they'll finish top three in the SEC, uh, in the SEC East, that is, uh, assuming the bats produce the way that they're capable of and, and assuming, assuming that they get healthy uh, with Blake Tidwell and, and Seth Halverson and don't, and they avoid other More major injuries. injuries. Yes. Yeah. Um, but my expectation is simply that, yes, they're going to take a step back, but they're still going to be a really good team, and people should not freak out when you, you don't see them on track to win 50 games or on track to make it to Omaha. And as you and I talked about several times last year, that team last year had up to like 10 moments in that season to where – Programs don't have that many moments over a decade. Tennessee itself did not have as many moments over a decade as it did last year. So uh, I'm, I'm speaking to, hey, let, let's let's not freak out, Fall Nation, but also asking you on that note kind of what your expectation is as a whole for the team going into year five of Tony Vitello. I have to go back for a second just to reiterate this point. Ben was not speaking in hyperbole when he said well, programs don't have that many moments in a decade. Like that's legitimately a fact. Like that's, it just sounds hyperbolic, but it's not. I mean, that's the reality of it. And look, I think even if you took last year's team and put them 
you know, on this year's team, let's take away the year, the exact same success level last year's team. They would take a step back just because the schedule is harder. So naturally there was going to be a step back and then naturally you lose those guys. There's going to be an even bigger step back. So I think you're right. I think it's going to be patience, especially, uh, you know, I think before you had the injuries on the pitching staff, I kind of felt like, you know, I think the pitching staff has the depth and it has the top end arms that it might be able to kind of carry through Tennessee through some of the learning curves of the batting lineup or the lineup getting figured out and finding consistency there with the injuries you had there. I'm not necessarily sure that's going to be the case, at least not to the degree that I thought it was. So you're right. You're not going to see as many regular season wins. It's not going to look as pretty. There's not going to be as many awesome moments that make you have to be at Lindsey Nelson stadium the next day, just in case it happens again. But it is a team that has a lot of talent. It's a team that I think is better than at least the SEC preseason predictions that it got. I think it's better than that. And I think to me, it, the goal, <clears throat> I think I said the same thing last year. I think the goal should be to host a regional, uh, to be one of those top 16 teams in the country. Now, it's not quite that because the, the regional aspect of it, there's no going to be no shortage of Southeast teams to host, and they like to space it out at least a little bit. Um, but I think that's the goal, and once you get there, who knows what happens. Postseason baseball is really hard to predict. It's really hard to know what the matchups are going to look like. And I think Tennessee certainly, like you said, capable of getting back to Omaha. I think that's the ceiling for this team to, to make it back there. I wouldn't be shocked if they lost in a regional, but I think when you look at the regular season and focus on that, I think Tennessee's goal should be to host a regional. I think that's a lofty goal. It's not like it's a slam dunk, but I think it's something they're capable of. Absolutely. I completely agree with you, and it'll be a, a fun season. I uh, hate that we're not going to be able to work as closely this baseball season as we did last year, but uh, super happy for you and uh, as you have moved on to Rocky Top Insider and uh, are doing great work for them during football season, basketball season. I, I, I know you'll do even better work during baseball season because you do a great job of covering the baseball team and have for years now. So, Shumpert, I'm uh, looking forward to another season with you. And, uh, man, if only people knew how many inside jokes we have from uh, last season. And I, I just can't wait to, to double all of the inside jokes that we have. So looking forward to another baseball season, covering it with you. And uh, just let the good folks know where they can follow you and your work as uh, you do cover this baseball team this year. Yeah, I can find me on Twitter at rshump00. That's R-S-C-H-U-M-P-0-0. And then find all my stuff on rockytopinsider.com and Looking forward to another three months of uh, chaos and, and us making a, a ruckus. <laughs> that, that is putting it nicely. Shumper, appreciate you, my friend. Yes, sir. Anytime. Really appreciate Mike and Ryan joining us on the Tennessee Baseball 2022 preview podcast. And as you heard at the end of both of those interviews, please, please go follow Mike and Ryan on Twitter. You can follow Mike at by Mike Wilson. You can follow Ryan Shumpert at rshump00. As informative as they come on the Tennessee beat, and uh, look forward to sharing a press box with them this season. And you'll hear from them throughout the baseball season periodically here on the podcast. But really appreciate them joining us to preview the upcoming season, and look forward to having our guy Eric Kane who you all will be hearing from quite a bit this upcoming season. Looking forward to having Eric join us later in the week to preview opening weekend. It'll be a fun one. It'll be a fun season. Again, as I said earlier, the goal is two pods a week. Try to get one out Sunday evening at worst, early Monday afternoon to react to the weekend of action 
And then we'll also do a Thursday pod that drops Thursday afternoonish, early afternoon, uh, to recap the midweek games and and preview the weekend and get get somebody on that covers the team that that does radio for the team uh, to preview that opponent. So it'll be a fun year. We know Tony Vitello and his baseball team provides a lot of fun. So we look forward to to covering it and discussing it all year long. It, it'll be a fun ride. So. I'm Ben McKee. Thanks again for joining the Diamond Vols podcast, and we'll talk to you later this week.